Good morning, everyone. Welcome to day 45 of the 7 a.m. novelist 50 day writing challenge first draft edition. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host. Today, we're hitting the end of the book discussing the denouement, another idea called the complexified equilibrium. And if we get to it, Jessica Brody's idea of the five point finale from Save the Cat. So today we've got authors Rebecca Rowland and Rishi ready to help us out. Good morning, ladies. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Rebecca Roland is the author of The Art of Talking with Children, a combination memoir and parenting education guide that will be translated into over 10 languages. She's also a poet, essayist, and novelist, winner of the Dana Award for Short Fiction, and has three poetry collections published and a fourth one coming out next year. And she lives with, in Boston with her family. Rishi Reddy is the author of two books of fiction, Karma and Other Stories and Passage West. Carmen Other Stories was the winner of the 2008 Penn New England LL Winship Prize for Fiction. Her debut novel, Passage West, is an LA Times Best California Book of 2020 and was a finalist for the New England Independent Booksellers Association's New England Book Award in Fiction. She has worked as an environmental lawyer for state and federal government for more than 25 years, and she lives in Cambridge, Massachusetts. All right, everyone. Okay, we're talking about the end of the book because we're at the end of this whole crazy project that I'm doing. Uh, Rebecca, how do you approach the whatever you however you call it, the denouement, the the complexified equilibrium, however you think of it? How do you approach that when you're thinking about your own work? Yes, definitely. So I actually really enjoy this part because I think for me, I'm always interested as sort of a poet and also a fiction writer in how we can create a satisfying ending that doesn't feel too pat. Um, so I really like to think about, well, what are the themes that have come through and how can those be shifted slightly in a way that's almost kaleidoscopic? So you can kind of think about all of the different um, threads that are there, but leaving them somewhat open-ended. Um, I really dislike novels in some ways that feel as though they've just come to a close and you can really shut the book and have all of the answers. So yeah. I like to think about, well, let's revisit the themes. Let's let the narrator reflect um, and release some of the tension. But also let's think about how we can kind of look outward and forward um, and kind of leave the reader with a beat of silence in some ways um, to actually have room um, to add to the story or to have um, their perspective also incorporated. So for yeah. me, it's really about that balance. Yeah, I love that, a beat of silence, because it allows the reader to continue the book. Exactly. Um, and, um, and, not, and, and to continue to think about it. Again, it's, it's, it's about what you are reading for. So if you're reading for entertainment at Beach Read, you might not want to be thinking about, you know, I don't know, Ed and Fred and their frolicking or whatever's happening in the book. But um, <laughs> Hopefully, I mean, a book can work on many levels in terms of even simple things that are happening with the characters, fun, entertaining things that are happening with the characters and some deeper things that the reader can carry away and continue to think about. Uh, Rishi, how about you? How do you approach the ending or how do you think about the ending of a book or story? You've worked with both. I think for me, I, I first of all, it's really early. It's very hard to think about <laughs> No, you have to talk eloquently. This is the point. You have to be really eloquent. Rebecca's answer right there was like, oh my gosh, how did she like come up with that? It's the espresso. Right? 
And I'm just drinking regular. So maybe that's yeah, we're all just, we're all just waking up and desperately trying to get going. That's the whole point. That's the whole point. Yeah. It's so true. No, it's great. Rebecca, I too, I agree. It's my favorite part of the book too. And actually when I was uh, writing my most recent piece with the, with the novel, it was the, the denouement is what I felt like I was going towards the entire, it was a journey that was traveling towards that moment that I knew I wanted to get to. And weirdly, this long book was about those short pages at the very, very end for me. And it was also something about casting a light backwards to the beginning of the book, you know, revealing an emotional truth that actually was sort of subsurface throughout most of the novel, but that, you know, you can point backwards and feel like, oh, now I get what that character was really feeling about the whole piece. But I think with short stories, I prefer something that, as Rebecca just said, is really open-ended and feels like as if the reader can find themselves in there and um, makes them keep wondering about, well, what would have really happened here given what I know about these characters? So the denouement was, to me, a piece, with a short story, I like to sort of trail off and see, okay, where are we going to go from here? Like, and ask the reader to fill that gap in way. Right. And so the word denouement means unraveling. Um, Rebecca, does it does that make sense to you, this idea of unraveling? It does, because I think about actually feeling as though you in the novel, you've kind of brought everything together or you've tried to in some ways. And then the denouement to me feels a little bit like, well, let's kind of twist that a little bit or shift that a little bit. So it's not perfect. Um, I think if there was perfection for me, that would be kind of problematic because you leave a bit unsatisfied. So I almost think too about not just unraveling, but almost like creating a crack um, in the book in some ways, like kind of like Mm. that crack in the vase in some ways that makes something more beautiful. So kind of thinking, well, what's, what's actually kind of can be nuanced or feel as though okay this isn't just a perfect pat ending but something where oh well maybe you know there's room for a new relationship later maybe there's room Mm. for you know some sort of shift or change after the book is finished um so even not to say you would write a sequel but even the sense of like oh well something else could happen afterwards Interesting. Um, so yeah Um, Rishi, d- d- so unraveling, does that make sense to you? How do you think of that? Well, the unraveling piece feels to me like as if you are allowing the reader also to, you're releasing them. You know, you've braided this thing together, you've braided a tale together from them, all these different strands. You might have, you know, two or three characters that you're dealing with or two or three plot lines. And then that unraveling piece to me is like, okay, I'm going to let you go now. Yeah. Um, it's more of what that felt like. Yeah. Good. So I'm also want to bring into the conversation. So John Barth has got a great essay called incremental perturb. I can't even say it this early this in the morning. <laughs> incremental perturbation. How to know whether you've got a plot or not. And it's published in uh, again Julie Checkaway's uh, creating fiction collection which I've noticed is kind of hard to find these days. Um, However, he talks about the idea for ending, not denouement, but 
complexified equilibrium, and I think even the term complexified equilibrium, the word complexified doesn't actually exist in the dictionary, I don't think. So this is John Barth, because John Barth is also kind of winking at us um, only half seriously as he um, introduces ideas and, and even rules for how a story or novel should finish. So he says about the ending, if nothing of consequence about the ground situation has been altered, no story has been told. So that's the unstable ground situation that we have at the beginning of the book that we've talked about before. So he says, no story has been told if it's not altered. Uh, the action has been all effort and no work. It is an equilibrium complexified, qualitatively changed, even where things may appear to all hands, except the reader spectator to be back to normal. And so I actually really like this idea because you are reaching, you're reaching a new ground situation at the end, but it has to um, be different from before. It has to be complexified. It has to be escalated. And I also think I'd argue as well for that crack that Rebecca's talking about, it has, it's also going to be unstable. Um, because if everything is tied up in a bow and everything's all settled at the end, um, then uh, we don't believe it, <laughs> right? Because human beings just don't function in that way. We just don't think of it in that way. Um, what do you guys think about this idea of complexified equilibrium? Again, I do think John Barth is using kind of silly terminology and is doing it on purpose um, because he both wants to say something about plot and doesn't want to say something about plot. So I'm going to throw this impossible question at the two. Any responses to those ideas? Well, I love that, that idea, and I agree that um, why use the fancy words, but okay, um, the fancy made up words. It's, yeah. it's almost like as if at the beginning of the work, you have the world in a certain way. This is the world that a child could be born into. And at the end of the work, you have an explanation for why the world has changed or shifted. And the story itself is the explanation of how it shifted. And I think um, like that a lot only because it's a way to uh, capture um, what I'm trying to do with plot. It's a way to capture what we're trying to do um, for what the reason for telling the story is because of the change. And I think that's what I traveled towards in the denouement. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'll try to put it in the, I'll try to put that quote in the podcast notes so you can find it. I don't, I can't copy it from the PDF right now into the chat. So apologies for that. Rebecca, any thoughts or response to that idea? Yes, no, I definitely agree as well. And I like that part of it. I think he says qualitatively different. Yeah. Um, so that sense of like, it doesn't have to be like, you know, this person was alive and now this person's dead or this person did X and now this person does Y, which I've read in, you know, several novel writing books. Yeah. Um, but even sort of like from the internal world of the narrator, or from the yes. internal world of the characters, it feels different. Um, right. And, and that's, that's why he said yeah. something, something big could have happened, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean you've exactly. reached your complexified equilibrium. If it doesn't, reach internally into the character's world and their understanding. And again, we're not looking for 180 epiphanies here um, because that also doesn't seem human or natural. Um, so that doesn't work. 
And then, so the biggest problem that I see when I'm working with writers is that they reach an ending and it's not the ending or, or they've reached it too fast. Um, and oftentimes end the, try to end the book on the climax. Like, okay, I raised it to this exciting thing that's happening and I've had them made a decision, boom. Um, have you had to deal with that in your own work, uh, Rishi? Like, have you had to like work out your endings and draw your endings and force yourself to beat your head into, no, I need a fuller ending. Like, how do you know you reached an ending? How do you know it's full? I, I have pushed myself to have more fuller endings, Michelle. That's really astute, I think, in terms of um, what a lot of writers grapple with. To me, it's about satisfaction. You know, you have to have a satisfying ending emotionally, regardless of what the action is. I mean, the action can be very small. The action can be very large. But it's the emotional aspect of being satisfied that that defines the ending. So you so you just go through it like intuitively when you feel satisfied. Yes. Like if I reach a note that I want to reach where I myself in writing feel like, OK, I can live with that. Like it may be a sad ending, but I can live with this because this is how it's going to be from now on. Right. In this world. And does it take you a few reads through, I mean, or some space between yourself and the project to be able to see it clearly? Because sometimes I worry that sometimes students are just, or writers are just tired. (laughs) Um, You know, they've been working at a project for years or they've been, and they're like, I'm done. And, um, and, and I oftentimes say exhaustion doesn't mean you're finished. Um, <laughs> it, it often means you're not finished. <laughs> often it means you're not finished because you can't, you can't see what's in front right. of you. That's you right. Know, when, That's right. when you're exhausted, you'll eat an entire bag of Doritos because you just don't care. You know, that doesn't mean it's good, um, but it's what's happening. Yeah. That thing has got to sit in a, in a drawer, honestly, for a little yeah. while. And then you realize, oh, that's the ending. Yeah. And you have to pick it up a little later. When you're really exhausted, then I like to sit on it for a while and pretend I never wrote it and that I, you know, mm-hmm. I'm just going to put it away. And then you come back and you're like, oh, that's the ending. Yeah. And how long do you put it away for? Oh, I don't know. Like, you know, my kid graduated high school or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so, I mean, I do tell, I tell, I tell, uh, the authors I work with, you know, try to put it away for three months or try, you know, I think even some authors say six months. I think if I can get a writer to put it away for a month or even two weeks, (laughs) that's like a go, because they're just so anxious to finish it. Um, and what, what will oftentimes happen is that when they go through the agent or editing process, they'll have to go through that defamiliarization again and they'll have to sit sit it in a drawer again it has to grow cold I think it has to grow cold that's to me that's how I feel it It, it's got to grow cold like as if when I read it again I'm surprised that I use that word Mm -hmm. that's how distant you know yeah it is for me yeah Rebecca how about you like how do you know you found the end yeah, it's interesting because oftentimes I have an end in mind and my problem is more like I have an image in mind and my problem is more how did I get there? <laughs> yeah. So actually, you know, thinking through well, what are all the steps in the interim process that makes this ending happen or makes it possible? Um, yeah. Like I have an ending of one of this um, novel I'm working on where there's a child who plays the piano and then just lifts his hands. And like I have this image in my mind of like there's 
you know, the sun streaming, I have the whole thing almost, you know, kind of poetically in an image form. But then I think, well, who is this child? How did he get here? Why is he doing this? All of that. And then how does the plot actually ultimately lead there? Um, so for me, it's almost like I often have a beginning and an ending in mind. And the question is, well, what are the plot threads and twists and so on that actually create um, something plausible for that ending to make sense? Um, so kind of working through the rest of the novel to feel as though this is the ending that would be satisfying. Almost like what's the problem that makes that ending the solution? <laughs> right. And Rishi, you, you did a historical novel. Is it different? Is finding that ending? Oh, yes. Well, the historical novel is you're kind of in jail. Yeah. So, you know, you you feel like you, it has to come out in a certain way, for sure. Like what Rebecca just said, like you have the ending in mind. And, and um, but still like an individual character's journey, you know, emotional journey through that piece is where the freedom is and where you feel like, where is the ending going to be placed in here? But yeah. Rebecca, I agree with you that what, the way that you just said that you have the ending in mind and you want to pull a story together that will provide that ending. Mm -hmm. I found myself doing that too. There might be a climax that I'm traveling to for sure. But the way that I arrange that in my head is about that's this is the denouement, the emotional note I want to end the book on. And I, and I, have found myself keeping that in mind as well. Like as and and then Michelle, that goes right into that idea of plot you were talking about. You know, we're actually in a weird way, you know, as we think about the denouement, you're actually constructing a plot. Yeah. And in a strange way, I just want to say this, you know, this came to me several times as I was writing, that when you go to a person's funeral, you understand their life in a very different way than you may have understood it just the day before when yeah. they were still alive, you know, and what is that about a denouement that's so magical? You know, you can, it, it makes it a package so that you can understand the whole thing in a way that you couldn't have understood it just two pages before, you know? Right. Right. Yeah, that's I a really, yeah. 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 <laughs> and it, and having that resonance, I think that's what we're looking for that because after a few knows when the deep thought and response happens for the audience. Yeah. Um, and so I also think I, I, I keep going back to this idea of a crack um, with historical fiction. If you're writing up to a big event, like let's say you're writing, you've set your story in right before 9-11 happens or right before COVID happens or right before you can write up to that event. And because the reader knows what's going to happen next in terms of major world event, it kind of offers you some additional attention and, and additional questions like, oh no, they don't even know this is upcoming and they think everything is solved at this point. So that can be interesting as well. Um, good. So, um, oh shoot, I had a brilliant question that I've completely forgotten. Um, I also wanted to go to, um, I don't know if either of you has looked at um, Save the Cat by Lisa, uh, Jessica Brody. I keep saying it's by Lisa, Lisa Brody and she's a student of mine. So it's Jessica Brody. Um, and um, she, and I think what's interesting and this is, and she comes from screenwriting. And so Save the Cat is a screenwriting idea for novelists and it's highly, highly formulaic. And, and in that way can be not helpful because I've sometimes have students like, oh, I need to have this at 
point or something. I'm like, no, 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 you don't. Um, but what she has is a five point finale, which will seem strange, but I think can be helpful when we think about, well, do I have enough of an ending? Like, have, have I extended it enough? Um, or am I just, again, landing it because I'm exhausted? So her five point finale at the, at the end includes gathering the team. Um, and again, this will seem very, very filmic um, and very kind of big, like, uh, big plot, um, but gathering the team, but this might also be getting the group together, getting the friends together, um, you know, who has been on stage, um, executing a plan. So they have an idea to um, reach the goal or overcome the goal or something. Then there's a high tower surprise, she calls it. So something twists or surprise. Um, the fourth point is dig down deep, which she says you have the main character has to go back internally to figure out, well, what do I really want? What's really going on here? How do I really solve this problem? Because I just, I just failed in that, in that big, exciting solution. I completely failed. And then point five is the execution of the new plan, which I think to a lot of literary writers will feel completely foreign and absurd, possibly. Rebecca, I mean, what's your response to that? <laughs> I mean, I guess I, I'm, I think it could work if I take it almost metaphorically um, rather than necessarily have to do each piece of that. Uh, I mean, I think it's a good reminder, for example, that we want to bring the characters back on stage or have some sort of sense of, okay, let's make sure that the people who were dealing with things throughout this book are dealing with them now. Um, and the sense of kind of the reflection element. So I think having some of those elements of sort of in broad strokes it's kind of a helpful checklist, but I do think that if it's more formulaic in the sense of like, let's do X, Y, and Z, um, it can feel really hard to execute and also really um, forced. So Really forced. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, Rishi, how about you? Well, I, okay. I just can't, I can't learn all the new terminology. <laughs> <laughs> I'm throwing, yeah, yes, you can right now. Learn it right now. The other thing is, is um, I love reading books about um, screen, about writing screenplays because it helps with plot so much. It's I simplified. do think they can. Some of our best guests have been screenwriters. Yeah, yeah. exactly. They've mean, been incredible. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so there's so much value in that, and I've done that. And Sid, I think of Sid Field's book, you know, where he looks at Chinatown. But um, I, I. I agree that all of those elements seem to really make sense in terms of, I, I, if you go back and you look at what works in terms of a good emotional ending, I feel like you hit all of those notes. But if I were to sit there and try to craft that with my novel, with a piece that I'm working on right now, I would feel a little bit yucky inside. <laughs> yeah. But, but it's there. I mean, there's great truth there. So, yeah. and also I do think that, there are pieces, you know, depending on what's happening in your novel organically, there may be a reason to actually not have every, not fulfill one of those pieces. Like there may be a, a statement being made and not having everybody on stage mm -hmm. at the very end. Yeah. There's something that you're trying to say there. Yeah. So to just be aware of, there might be bigger thematic issues that are going on that might cause you to veer off from that. Which I think is really important to think about because you know, we've, our culture is so filmic. Americans yeah. are so stuck onto film and we oftentimes reference film a lot. Um, 
So if we are not doing something that might, that audiences have gotten used to expect because of film or television and that sort of thing, understanding that you're making a statement there um, and you could use it to your benefit and to the benefit of the novel too, and do something really interesting. Um, so it actually allows you to say something because of the absence or yeah. because of the veer away from it. Yeah. Uh, one of the questions in the chat, um, Jesse is, is, has a, you know, what do you do when you have a disturbed protagonist who gets better? And in this case, this book's case from medication. I mean, so mostly I'm, I hope all of your protagonists are disturbed <laughs> in some way, um, whether they need medication or not, but hopefully um, from beginning to the end. And so again, the whole process of the, of the book is, is they're uh, traveling towards trying to, to, to fix that or not, they might fail. Um, in the end, they might not get better. And so that's that's a statement in itself. And so Jesse says, I'm struggling as to how fast that can happen. What I think that the five point finale does is make sure that you don't do it too fast. Because what I find is that, okay, whether you have the gather the team or some other gathering of, um, I don't know, place or time or theme or some sort of gathering, some coming together probably, um, executing the plan, and then the plan works. <laughs> and that's, you know, so that I think one thing that, that having it kind of wrote like this and formulaic like this might kind of spell out is like, no, that's not good enough. It's too easy. Um, it's too easy for the character. And so you need to work to extend it. And you actually meet at that point when they, ex the first executing the plan part, and then they you need them to fail because you have to then make it much harder on them. And you have to, you yourself have to go into the protagonist and say, okay, what do they really have to do here to be successful? What do they really have to do? So it's about understanding your character and forcing yourself to understand your character. Yeah. I mean, cause that's really what the ending is, right? Really understanding your character. Yes. Rebecca, what are you going to say? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree. And I also think about um, when we think about someone getting better, quote unquote, um, you know, also what is that, what challenges does that getting better create in their life? Uh, yeah. Create the chance to reflect on things that didn't go well and then now they regret. Does it create d difficulties in old relationships? You know, that kind of thing. So that's also a way of complexifying, I think. Uh, and how much reflection do you think, because a lot of the Daniel months is considered to be reflection. Like, are we allowing the characters to reflect? Do we spend time there? How do you do that, Rebecca? Yeah, well, I'm definitely someone who tends to over-reflect in my work, so uh, I always have to be careful of that. But I do think reflection is important, but maybe it can be shown partially through action and through sort of interactions with other characters rather than just these long pages of, you know, this is how I think about my life now and things like that. So I think finding the right gestures and right language to do that is the key. And, and your character's not going to be able to understand what's just happened to them very quickly. And they're not going to be able to articulate it. And they're not going to be able to really change or understand or articulate a change. They might, though, change a habit that the reader sees, oh, they're no longer doing that. Mm -hmm. So we see that there's a change, even if the protagonist doesn't even see that a change has happened. So changing a habit is an interesting way of showing character change without going into therapy. And you might also need to move forward. Lots of novels move forward in the end of a week, a month, a year, 10 years. Um, you know, Rishi, how do you approach that in terms of getting to character change at the end? 
I, I um, really like that notion that I think you were alluding to just now, Michelle, where if, if it's a habit or if you've already seen a particular um, circumstance that was set up for your protagonist and they behaved in a different way, you know, they behaved one way the first time, there could be an echo of that same um, action or choice and they behave a different way this time. It could just be, and you can just very softly allude so, you know, what might have happened 150 pages before, 200 pages before, and it turns out differently this time. Yeah. And so a similar situation in yeah. a similar setting. Yes. Yeah. That's nice. yeah, I like that. Nice. Rebecca, do you have any last, like, wise words for these folks in terms of thinking about their endings or sweating out their endings? Any last, like, or just don't sweat it? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I definitely, I'd say don't sweat it, but I definitely also find, um, for me, just brainstorming and trying out, writing out different endings can be just a helpful way to go forward and feel intuitively, you know, what feels too much, what feels not too much, and actually using your intuition just to brainstorm alternatives and even something that feels too pat, you know, why does it feel too pat? And then trying to something that feels not pat enough, you know, and kind of going from there. So I found yeah. that helpful. Yeah. Rishi, how about you? I think putting that that book in a drawer for the three months, exactly. I really, I, that yeah, is sure. just, there's no, for me, there's no way around it. And then, you know, you can also feel this thing of like, wow, I actually did that. Now let me try to think of an ending for it. So. Yeah, exactly. Okay, great. Fantastic. So tomorrow we're going to talk more about how to get feedback once you've got your first draft done, if, if you are ready for it. We're also <laughs> going to talk about keeping the faith. Like how do you keep going back into drafts and going back into drafts and back into drafts? And then also the impossible question to answer, how do you know that you are done? So we're going to be talking about that for over the next three or four days. Um, if you support what we're doing, please share, follow, and rate our 7am novelist podcast on Substack or other podcast platforms. And you can find our full schedule at 7amnovelist.substack.com. Uh, Rebecca, what are you going to, are you going to get some writing done today or do you have to go to work today? Um, probably some of both. I always try to fit in a little bit of writing, but I, I do have some, some work to get done. <laughs> some yeah. Planning and yeah. Teaching, things like this. Yeah. Rishi, Rishi, any writing done today? Both. You got to do a little bit every day, even if it's just 10 minutes. Fantastic. Yeah. A little bit every day. Okay. Let's leave it that everybody. And we will see you tomorrow. Thank you so, so much. Thank you, Michelle. You to go, but you never wonder why there is enough.